Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. All right, so let's get going. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here in Oklahoma City with Courtney Strang, petroleum and design engineer at directional company called Inwell. Courtney, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks You're for having to be me, here. Justin. You're yes. excited to be here in your humble abode. You're in your comfort zone. You got the wine going. This is great. I mean, yeah, I have the wine going. It's it's not two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, no, of course we wouldn't do that. Right. Yeah, no, it's. We would certainly keep things professional here because you can't drink during work hours. So, yeah, we're here. I'm excited to have you on. I know we talked about it. I have to say you're the first, one of the first females to be on. I, I interviewed a couple that own a company, but I'm excited to have you on. We've been knowing each other for a few years now when you actually were at VP is where we met, right? That is right. Yes. And you guys, you and Masha came down to the AES Drilling Fluids Mud School. Your company gave me my first intro into mud. Yeah, good. Mud chemistry and mud design. And <laughs> yes, just when I transferred into the drilling engineering world at BP. That's right. AES had a had a good couple day course for me to, to learn what I needed to learn. So yeah, it was good. great. So how did you know about it? Because I know I reached out to Masha and then she said, hey, why don't you join me? Is that how it went? That's exactly how it went. Actually, BP, even like when we were drilling in different areas, because I think there was four different regions that BP had active drilling in in 2015. They did a great job of keeping everyone kind of in the know and lessons learned, transferred from region to region. And I was new to drilling. I had been in completions. I had been in production. I had been in performance. And before that, and going into drilling, I you know, needed to learn a couple new skills and, and mud was one of those things. So yeah, Masha introduced me to AES and, and you guys introduced me to mud design. <laughs> cool. Well, that, you know, that's one neat thing about our industry is for customers, you know, between operators and vendors, vendors are always trying to educate the customer. And hopefully by not way of like, oh, here's our, you know, come to our school and we're going to sell you on X company. But there's so much to learn in our industry and, and technology continues to evolve. And so most companies out there, including AES and I'm sure our sponsor, they're always willing to, to help educate and bring, you know, our customers, either whether we're working with or not, just up to speed on what's going on in the industry. So it's uh, it's always good. So you're my first Canadian on the podcast. Oh. So this is like a good bonding experience. So I'm excited to have you on, on that front. Where are you from in Canada again? I'm from Northern Alberta. Yes. Yes. So we're all the, you know, heavy oil pipeline drama that you hear about in the news. That's that's where I'm from and that's where most of my family works in the oil field up there. And I was happy to enter the oil and gas industry graduating from high school, but I was yeah. not happy to live in winter. <laughs> I bet. And so Houston, Texas was was on my radar when yeah. I graduated college. And Oklahoma City is is not a far ways away. So No, it's I'm, closer to the equator. That's right. I'm happy to be in the south. Yeah. Well, it's funny because most, like including myself, you get in the oil field and it's like, I feel like it's there's an opportunity for people when they go in the oil field and they graduate school. And, you know, it's Canadians always chase the heat in the summer, right? So it's like, how can we get it, you know, closer to the equator? And oil and gas seems like a good opportunity. And, and the next thing you know, you're traveling, you know, further and further south. And I mean, 
Oklahoma is pretty far south. I'm in, in Houston, which is about as far as you can go before you get into the Gulf of Mexico. But yeah, living in the States has been good. Do you miss being in Canada or even working in Canada? I do miss some parts of being in Canada, but it mostly has to do with the family friends. Because I do feel like Canadians, Americans, they share a lot of the same values. And things that I miss in Canada, I can find here in Oklahoma City, especially with this city being very similar size to Edmonton, which yeah. is where I you know, did two years of my college. So it's been a great experience being down here. Yeah. I really do just miss you know, just being able to see my sister, see my dad, see my mom. Other than that, no, the United States is, is the place that I am happy in right now. Did you ever see yourself in Oklahoma at one time? Or was it just the opportunity came up and you're like, well, let's try it? I have to say, like getting my first job offer at a college, I went to Montana Tech. And one of the big drivers for me choosing BP was because their head office was in Houston. And I was very lucky to, to land in Houston and be there for six years. I knew that I was probably going to have to go to somewhere else at some point in my career, whether that be, you know, Oklahoma City or Midland or yeah. Denver. So all in all, I knew that it, Houston was not going to be my forever home, but Oklahoma City is is a good, good second. Yeah, there's definitely a lot worse places to be, you know, being, you know, from Canada as well. The oil field towns, either Calgary, Edmonton, then you get you know, like Carlisle, Saskatchewan, maybe, and then you get like Grand Prairie and Fort St. John. So I would take, I'd probably take Midland almost, you know, over most of the ones in Canada. If I have to go back to Canada, I have thought about this. <laughs> Where would you not go? <laughs> I actually, I always feel like there's a couple places I would go. So okay, which is like what? I've thought of Halifax, you know, okay. for any of those companies that are doing the, you know, Eastern offshore drilling in yes. Nova Scotia. I'd be happy to, to live in Halifax. Have you been there before? I have. I went really? there only one time and it was in the summer. So I know like maybe I don't A little have... biased, but <laughs> either way. But I have some friends that live there. I think it's it's a beautiful city. Okay. Again, I love the size. Easy to get around. Is it pretty, like, when you say size, would you say it's bigger or smaller than Oklahoma City? It's, I think it's probably the same. Is it? So, so around okay. maybe less than a million people in the city. Good walkability. So in that sense, too, like, you just would be able to get to know your neighbors. And it seems like a place that, that I would like to live. Okay. And Calgary. Calgary, of course. I would go to Calgary. Yeah. So if anyone at Inwell higher up the food chain wants to start drilling in Canada and especially out in Hibernia, you know, Courtney would be willing to take that offer. There you go. Yeah. Send some tools up north. We're going. (laughs) I would love to ship Inwell tools up north. Hey, well, anyone listening, (laughs) you need some directional tools up uh, on the northeast side of Canada, you know who to call. I'll come personally run them myself. Nice. Look at that. Always (laughs) going the extra mile. That's what we do in the oil field. So I have to ask. Are you a Tim Hortons fan? Uh, ooh. I mean, anyone from Canada's drank it, and so there's always, like, you either hate it or you love it. I have to say that, I mean, if there's Canadians listening, don't hate me, but no, Tim Hortons, no. not for me. I That's, mean... <laughs> so I, I'm a huge Tim Hortons fan, and I don't want to talk too much about Tim Hortons because I did on the last episode, but I interviewed Charles Hill, and he's, you know, from the U.S., and he was, I think, in Baku or Oman. I think it was Oman, and... 
there was Tim Hortons over there somehow and he had it and that was his first introduction to Tim Hortons. He loved it. He's hooked. Now he orders it in and it's the only thing he drinks. I was like, <laughs> that's so awesome. I think maybe I'm just, I'm a very basic coffee drinker. You okay. know, I, I can drink coffee on any rig that I've been to. And right. I think as long as you add a little cinnamon to the coffee filter ah, with the coffee beans. Interesting. It actually, I haven't done that before. Yeah, so when I, when I worked in Wyoming, starting off my career, I was, I was fracking, but we spent a couple weeks, me and my coworker on, on the drilling rigs there. Just that was part of BP's drilling program yeah. and training program for their, their new hires. And I can, yeah, you put some cinnamon in, a, in the coffee filter. That's a it nice makes, touch. It makes no matter what coffee you're drinking <laughs> taste just a little better. Yeah, even the rig coffee. Even the, the, rig, even the rig The coffee. black death normally. And, and I, I know some of those company men, as much as they you know, wouldn't want to admit it, they yeah. did tell us, you know. Whispered us to the side, uh, we, we really like the coffee that you made. <laughs> yeah, good for you. But there is one thing I do miss, actually, about like, one Canadian food that I miss so much that I cannot get over. Okay. Poutine. Poutine? Oh, my goodness. Oh. If you're ever in Houston, which I know you go, there's so Moxie's. I'm sure you've heard of Moxie's. They opened up one in Houston, and they have poutine. Really? Yeah, so if you ever need a fix. Now, I, I haven't actually had it, but I heard it's pretty good. Now, it's not the authentic ones like we get back home, but at least it's a taste of home. So is there yes. any place here in Oklahoma that you can get one? Unless it's homemade? There, No, actually, the one place that did have a... A decent poutine had closed down a couple of years ago. Really? So. You know what would be so cool is if you opened up a food truck that was just Canadian food, poutines. I mean, and it would have to be more like, you know, obviously, like Ukrainian food and like European food, like cabbage rolls and pierogies, like ripping around Oklahoma. And My husband truck. and I have talked seriously about opening up a pierogi food truck. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we lo- I taught him how to make pierogies. I'm a Polish girl from, you know, Western Canada. Yeah. I taught him how to make pierogies and... Honestly, I don't even really make them anymore. He just does it he all. He does it? Good for And him. actually, we did. I'm part of the AADE, American Association of Drilling Engineers board here. I put on the F5. Oklahoma City just started doing that the last three years. Good I know them. Houston has a really great F5. Yeah, so does Denver. Have and you Denver, been to one in Denver? I haven't been to that one. That one's pretty good, too. So we, we've started doing that here in Oklahoma City in well actually entered a team okay and my husband and i were the ones to kind of head up that uh you know that charge and, and we made pierogies and no, we it, had, was, it was a hit i bet oh they were good we did not uh we did not win but we're we're, we're working on a recipe for 2019 okay good well you're coming back with a vengeance i'm sure <laughs> that's right so are you so if people wanting to that are in oklahoma that maybe aren't aware that you guys do have five are you the one to contact or who do you know who how do you guys do that yeah, actually, I would be a great person to contact. I have a co, kind of co-chair. He's in Denver, Jason Wood. He okay. works for Valence Drilling Fluids. And then myself, we are the two co-chairs of the Oklahoma awesome. F5. Perfect. Well, uh, what we'll do is we'll link your LinkedIn in the show notes and or any other contact information to where or even a, a link that has the f5 just something so where people can if they're listening and they want no more information they can hit you guys up yeah we've been doing this 2018 was our third year 2019 will be our fourth and we've been growing every year and we have a facility that allows that growth and and we're excited to keep bringing better food and yeah. and, and more kind of networking within the oil field to Oklahoma City so well bringing people together through food and drinks is always a great time so I'm sure everyone's looking forward to the next one. Before we get a little bit further here, I want to take a quick break and talk about happy hours. Speaking of drinks, we're actually launching the Midland and Dallas Fort Worth happy hours in April. 
keep you know keep on the lookout for exact dates and locations i think we've landed some sponsors so we're extremely excited about that the oggn family is continuing to grow and we've got our super happy hour which is in houston so anyone interested in one of the best oil field happy hours in houston come hang out with uh, the oggn crew every last tuesday of the month held at the cannon the next one's gonna be march 26th so come out enjoy a cold beer from our sponsors at carbog and some food from HEB and the opportunity to network with other professionals in oil and gas. Visit OGGN.com for more details. And so a couple other events that are coming up, we've got the Houston Professional Petroleum Data Expo. That's April 9th and 10th in Houston. And OGGN is actually really pleased to be part of the SPE GCS upcoming golf tournament. That's going to be Monday, April 8th at the Kingwood Country Club. And if you register you may get a chance to win one of two options that you can have is podcast host for a day. So essentially you would have lunch with one of your favorite podcast hosts from OGGN. You can sit alongside them as a co-host while we record an episode. If your microphone's shy, don't worry. You can still sit and join the fun from the sidelines and just experience the podcasting world or expert interview. If you're involved in business in any way and would love the chance to tell people about what you do, then this one's for you. Choose the podcast that you'd like to be on and we'll do the rest to get you an interview with uh, and get everything set up. So to learn more or get your chance to win, go here and learn more to sign up. It's going to be, well, actually I'll just link it in the show notes, but it's OGGN.com, SPE GCS golf tournament. So just scroll down, click the link and be sure to sign up. So Courtney, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Did you go to school right out of high school or did you work a little bit or how did you get in the oil field and what made you decide to go in the oil field? I know you said you're either second or third generation oil field, but. Right. Yes. Good backstory. I hope you guys think this. (laughs) Yeah, of course. My dad told me that uh, he would not pay for my college unless it was in an engineering engineering front. So forced entry. Forced entry, (laughs) which was okay, which was okay. I did grow up going onto the rigs with my dad and I knew what the lifestyle was like and I was, I was happy to grow up in it. So I had a very, in my mind, I thought, okay, I want, I'll go into chemical engineering. I like chemistry. I applied to one college only. (laughs) Okay. So to to all those people listening out there, keep your options open. (laughs) I applied to the university of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta. I did not get accepted. Ah, so plan B was no plan B. No plan B forced another forced entry into just a a year off after high school Okay. and, and working. I ended up actually going to work luckily to the Alberta Boilers Safety Association, they verify any pressure vessels and they train and verify any power engineering students coming out of college there. Gotcha. So that's some um, good experience. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a good experience that kind of like fell into place with my chemical engineering group. And so had that job and it went really well with me applying to Nate, North American Institution of Technology. Yeah. And I went to a chemical engineering program there, which is a two year technical program and had an internship working with ExxonMobil or Imperial Oil, as they called it in Canada, at their refinery. And I got a full time offer coming out of school with them. And I d- realized at that point I did not want to go to the same location every day. Seeing my dad grow up working on the rigs, mm-hmm. I realized the refinery wasn't for me. Then I transferred over to Montana Tech in Butte, Montana and transferred over into the petroleum engineering program. So once I finished that, I got recruited by BP 
and came to work for BP. So nice. What was it like in Montana? I mean, is there anything to do there other than drink? And if no is the answer, that's totally cool. <laughs> you know what? There's a lot to do there as as I've grown. <laughs> and I know better now in right. my 30s. It's a Butte, Montana is a very cool city. When you're in college, the only thing you think there to do there is drink. But right. you can get to Yellowstone. You can go see mining tours and, and just so so much really interesting stuff okay so if anyone's planning on going to montana do some research and you know just figure out that there's more to do than just part of your face off and you know have it a blur for two years because everyone that i've talked to says like yeah montana tech was fun because a bunch of canadians end up going there they're like oh we did this party this and that and they're like i wish i would have known of the other things that there was to do but you just go there and you think it's in the middle of nowhere some little 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 town but it's i've actually heard and that it is, it's nice, there's things to do. So don't be deterred. Yeah, my, one of my favorite things to learn about it was that it used to be the third biggest city in the United States after New York and Chicago, New York City <laughs> and Chicago. It was because of the mining, they were one of the first cities in the United States to get electricity. No way. Yes. Random so, fact of the day, I would have never known that. What did they mine up there anyway? They mined copper is is the biggest thing. Okay. I don't know what they're mining today. There are a couple mines still open, but they do. It is called the richest mountain in the world. No I think they, I think they got to mine a little bit of everything up there. Cool. Wow. Interesting. Well, before we talk more about your career, I want to ask the listeners, please support the show and leave me a review. Whether it's good or bad, I welcome anything. Just, again, subscribe, leave a review. And if you can, listen to the other OGGN podcasts and leave them a review. We certainly appreciate it. I did want to read this week's reviews. This one's from Nick's name 1091 says this podcast is great. It's very interesting to hear the different topics discussed. Very easy to follow for amateur like myself and very entertaining. Certainly appreciate that. And the second one this week was from AES Mama Debs. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks AES Mama Debs. Appreciate the love. So let's get going more about what you currently do. So you said you worked at BP. You did your stint there, and now you're working for Inwell, which is a directional drilling company. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So there's obviously a huge difference, and anyone that's either on the service side or the operator side, going from when you're you know, you're a drilling engineer, you've got a lot riding on your shoulders, you're basically taking the life of the well in your own hands, to now being more you know, specific related to drilling. What's the major difference going from working in an operator where basically you call the shots to now essentially working for your peers, some of which you maybe even be smarter than. What? How does that work? So one of the things that drew me to directional drilling was that it was it was more of a people and communication management thing and data and performance analysis, which those are two things that I really loved within all my jobs at BP. But a lot of times on an operator, you only control a very small piece of the puzzle and those were the pieces I realized that I enjoyed controlling. And so, you know, that's where it kind of, I, I decided to, you know, flip over to the service side and also to the directional drilling side. The other thing is that I felt like I could do a really good job of bridging that communication gap. When you're an engineer or a manager at an operator, you still have to depend on all the people on site working on the rig you know, the guys that are actually like screwing the nuts and bolts together. And sometimes it can be hard for an engineer to, you know, talk to those people. And that was one of the other things that I felt like I could help with. So it was, it was a 
good transition to really like my skills just felt like they fit into that kind of category so you, of so the oil and gas industry. Okay. So you could maximize your, your skill set and add value, you know, is it to maximum potential to the customer versus like being frustrated to where it's like, I want to manage this and have more control in this, but I have all this other stuff that I have to worry about. Exactly. Nice. You know, like when I was at an operator at BP, my superintendents took the charge in that and they did a great job. But again, it's just, you know, if you feel like you have a passion and you have something that you can do well at, you know, I, I was kind of removed from that piece of the puzzle. Right. So I got you. Yeah. So how, and you mentioned, you know, being in a managerial position, which essentially as a drilling engineer, you are managing a pretty large amount of people, you know, all the way from the rig up, even to people within your office. Tell me about your experience in that role as a female, where historically it's been predominantly male. Was it challenging or did you, because you were in the oil field, your dad was in the oil field, you kind of were surrounded by it. Did did that, do you think that helped you or where did you see, how did you, you know, navigate those waters? Yeah, that was actually, I had an interesting experience with that. When I had my career in Houston, I never saw any issues or never felt like I wasn't going to be as effective as one of my male colleagues. And I think now looking back that Houston, they just, they're so diverse, multicultural. And usually that's where, you know, you have the, the big, like, you know, your main office for companies. Moving to Oklahoma City, where we were now a field office, I did kind of have to, you know, battle with some of those things. You know, it was a lot more about just trying to be taken seriously, maybe not in the office, but outside the office. Every time I went somewhere with my husband, he was the one that was getting asked, you know, who do you work for and who's your wife? And, you know, we navigated those waters very easily because both of us as engineers and both of us kind of knowing that sociology, like that's how people think it was okay. But yeah, I had had not experienced it until later in my career. Right. Well, you, I mean, you come across obviously very confident and you, you are very good at what you did and what you currently do. What, do you have any advice for, you know, females that are maybe looking to getting into oil and gas and if they are somewhat intimidated because it's predominantly male, I mean, what would you suggest for women out there to give them the confidence to come into to this field? And I hope, I hope that there is no one that doesn't have the confidence to come into the field because I will say that every male coworker I've had has you know, grabbed me by the hand and, and taught me everything they know and shared their knowledge and every female also. So don't let the, you know, women being the minority in this field stop you or give you, like, hesitate you from coming in. People want to help. And there will be maybe some challenges that your male colleagues won't deal with, but nothing, it'll just be a little a little bump in the road. It right. won't be anything. It's not going to be a mountain in front of you. Right. Yeah. And in every challenge, you know, there's a learning experience that comes with it. And so regardless if you're male or female, people face challenges every day. And there's some, you know, males that, you know, maybe get into a role and their supervisor doesn't, you know, like the way they talk or the way they smell. And so, you know, they're being judged by that not necessarily whether you're female or male but it's cool because even just sort of over the years of me being in the oil field which has been since 2004 you're starting to see a lot more women in you know 
positions, managerial positions. I mean, our general manager at AES Drilling Fluids is female. And and the couple that owned the company before AES bought them was owned by, you know, Jim and Catherine Sherman. And she ran the company just as much as, as he did. And she was very effective and was made the company very profitable. So I agree. I mean, I think it's exciting. I hope to see it, you know, continue to grow and that more females just continue to, to come into the industry because I think regardless of, of what it are, if you can perform and work your ass off, you're going to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think the people we have to convince is the dads. <laughs> Tell, like the dads probably are trying to guard their guard their daughters from going in. <laughs> the dads are probably afraid. So yeah. let's talk to the dads and say, don't worry, dads. Right. Well, your, as a father, your daughter is going to crush it. You yeah. know? She's going she's gonna to get in there. She's going to have a great technical career. She's going to make some money. Yeah. And, and everyone's going to want to help her out along the way. Good. Yeah. Well, that's that's super comforting hearing that from you, Courtney. So sh- thank you so much for sharing that. You've been in the Midcon now for a while. You came in, you worked with BP, you were drilling out, and was it southeastern Oklahoma was your the stuff you were looking at? Yeah, after? I started in the, the Texas panhandle right? Uh, okay. in 2015, and then 2016, our drilling program went more Woodford, Woodford, Arcoma, so southeast Oklahoma. <laughs> And that's where I finished before I left to join Inwell. So nice. So, what would you say the biggest advancements in technology are that you've been a part of since coming into the midcon and to where it is now? And and you can touch more on like the directional drilling side because that's what you're focused in on now. I mean, is there anything that stands out or anything that's been revolutionary for for you that you've seen? Yeah, one of the things that I've been really excited about is just you know kind of the artificial intelligence that you're getting directional drilling actually. This was while I was at BP. We were working with a company called Motive, where you know they were trying to use artificial intelligence and, and learning to you know show us what we could expect as far as an operator and how much should you AFE for this well and what kind of ROP should you expect and how many failures you should expect. It was in, very early in in the technology, but I saw great potential in it, and I think. The more companies that start getting on board with whatever, you know, whatever AI companies are out there, you know, the more data that is fed into a model, the more it's going to be able to do a more predictive analysis. Right. Yeah. So you're not looking back and going, oh, we should have did that. You can plan forward. So that's got me very excited, especially, you know, I see a lot of the bigger companies now, you know, Chevron joining with Microsoft and that, that sort of thing. I'm like, if you have a lot, if you have enough rigs running and enough data coming in to feed your model, you're going to, you're going to be able to start shaving days, cutting costs. You mm-hmm. know. And, and a lot of it too, is the ability to make real time decisions. Like you said, similar to that. And it's in, instead of, you know, looking at data, analyzing it, figuring out, wow, this looks okay, but this doesn't. And if ultimately, you know, we can have the ability to where ideas and decisions or even options are coming to the table where you can quickly analyze them and, you know, execute a little bit faster than you normally would is only going to advance our our industry even further. And I say this, and I'll say it again, is I think like the oil and gas industry is going to be the next Silicon Valley by way of all these tech companies. I mean, you see them all over the U.S. coming into Houston, Austin, and I'm sure probably even Oklahoma City just trying to capitalize on it and, and share what they can do from a data standpoint. So Yeah. And when you talk about like real-time decisions, that you know made me think of one other thing. There are programs that are pulling in 
text messages, pictures. You know, my my superintendents and I used to send bit pictures yeah. back and forth about, you know, once they got pulled to surface. And this is what happened. And I think about, you know, for the last forever, all that data was getting lost. Yeah. No one, like, I'd never saved any picture that someone sent me in, through a text message into, you know, BP's common space. And even if we did save it into that common space, nothing was happening with that data. There are companies now that are saying, hey, all these text messages that you, a drilling engineer, a superintendent, you know, a rig superintendent, they're all sending that data back and forth and no one's capturing it and no one's taking any lessons from this. Wow. I and, never even thought about that. Yeah. So I know that I've talked to, uh, you know, a couple couple of those AI companies that they are now want, like they're getting into that space with you. It's almost like Facebook for drilling rigs. And I'm sure there's they're you know doing the same thing for hydraulic fracturing. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, all our engineers are having conversations back and forth through text or through email. Let's try and hone in on that data and figure out how we can learn from it. Wow. That makes me actually really excited. So. I never even thought about that. Is it's like just the day to day conversations you have with folks, and because I mean, you you know as well as I do, you know a lot of the good ideas and a lot of the solutions happen when you're you know, bullshitting over coffee or you're, you know, you're all in a room and someone says, yeah, how's your rig going? Oh yeah. You know, we're, we're stuck or we had issues with here. And it's, oh yeah, I talked to the drilling engineer over there. They had the same thing. Why don't you try this? And all of a sudden you do it. Well, that conversation isn't being captured. It's just like we did this, then we did this. But if you can somehow, you know, organize it by way of eventually being able to look on a platform and it's like, oh, this is what happened. Here's what they did. And here's, you know, and, and have it readily available at your fingertips would be outstanding. So, no, that's really neat. So specifically with the mid-con, I mean, more from an overall market standpoint, is there a pretty good future in the mid-con? I mean, obviously it's all commodity driven, but you mentioned the other day that you went to an IEDC luncheon and yes. it seems yeah. like some people are kind of hesitant with the mid-con. Like, what, where do you think things are at? Well, first of all, I have to say like, the way that it was set up where they had six operators, drilling managers or VPs of operation come and speak to their drilling program for the next year. I thought that was great. I would love to see that happen, you know, throughout all the basins. Absolutely. I mean, I think that just, I think the more data sharing or like strategy sharing is going to help the whole oil field start doing better. What they did say that, you know, I was, I was completely fine with hearing the message, but it was, it was just... We need to watch our capex. We need to start getting returns on our investments. It was more about a lot of small companies that would come into the midcon, try and buy up an area, turn it around real quick, and sell it to somebody. That has been the strategy probably for you know the last three, four years. There's no buyers anymore, is what they said. So they're saying now it's like now that we have this acreage, let's we have to figure out how to make money in the long term. With it. Interesting. So there's definitely a shift and not being, you know, on the service side, I don't really hear a lot of that what goes on other than just reading articles. But is that more sort of specific to the midcon, or do you think as a industry as a whole, that's sort of the, the focus that needs to be? I think what I saw, it was more specific to smaller operators or okay. th- like private operators that had private equity, you know, people that had not, not public companies. Gotcha. So they were needing to show their investors what their investors wanted to see. And it seems like the investors want to see rate of return. Gotcha. Now, where before they were willing maybe to 
invest money and and hold off for a longer term. They want to see kind of greater return on a quicker quicker turnaround. Interesting. So I don't think that's specific to MidCon. I think that's going to be specific to you know it, where you get your funding from as a as a company. Okay. Well, I'm eager to see how that all unfolds over the next year and of course a few years and hopefully you know commodities either stay where they're at or or you know continue to creep up. Obviously the volatility always throws a wrench into everything, but nonetheless all right. So before we sign off, because we're getting close to our time here. So you're working with Inwell. You know, how does Inwell separate themselves from the market? And, and what makes you excited to be working with you know a directional drilling company now? Yeah, right. So Inwell is a small private directional drilling company. And there are a lot of them out there right now. How do we separate ourselves from the market? We've been around for over 20 years. So there, we have the longevity. If you know, you know that we're not we're not going away. Yeah, is what I'll say. The other way that we distinguish ourselves from others is is me. There you go. You've <laughs> got the, you've got the top dog at Inwell. That's right. You know, I, as a drilling engineer and as a, as an engineer that had experience in production completions performance, I'm more interested in when I work with an operator to know, you know, what their goal is because. Not every time it's fastest ROP. So I can hone in on what the goal is, what they want to achieve, and give them a directional package that will accomplish that. Right. So I would imagine, you know, being an experienced drilling engineer for an operator, you probably already see the questions and problems arising to where you can provide solutions, hopefully before they even ask you for them. Just being one step ahead of them, knowing, you know, the next series of events, I would assume adds a lot of value for them. And it's like, hey, we're being taken care of by someone who's been in our shoes. So let's trust her and, and, you know, let her do what she needs to do. I've seen that just actually even recently, we were working in Winkler County, Permian Basin, and getting, uh, getting really great you know, penetration rates. But the first thing I saw was, well, how's our hole cleaning? Right. Right. And it's, I know it's not me. I'm not the operator, but that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah. And just have that conversation with the engineer, the drilling engineer over at that company to say like, I know, I know it looks great right now, but I'm concerned about the hole cleaning because I don't want you to come out getting stuck. So, you know, that is what Inwell can bring to the table. Just the overall experience and knowledge that you can bring, not through just good tools and, you know, directional drilling, but the overall package to where you can be a part of the team and help them come up with problems that may not even be related to, you know, directional drilling specifically. They might say, hey, Courtney, you know, like, what do you think on this? And so I I just think that's extremely valuable. And so it's exciting to see you, you know, paving the way in the directional world. And I'm certainly excited to see where you where you go from here. So before we sign out, I do have a question for you relating to, you know, we talked a little bit about food. Do you have any great restaurants that you can recommend for people coming to Oklahoma or Oklahoma City? Yes, Oklahoma City, actually. I mean, coming from Houston, I had a high high bar to to hit. Yeah. But Oklahoma (laughs) City's got some great restaurants. I would say Ludovine is one of my favorite places here. It's a bit on the pricier end. Sure, but you pay for what you get. Pay for what you get, and also they have a good happy hour. Ah, so, okay. Well, yeah. we'll make sure we put their website in the show notes so people can check them out. There you go. Awesome. Is there anywhere else or is that the go-to? I'm sure there's lots. You've you've recommended a bunch that have been good, but if there's one more that you would recommend, what would it be? The other one is La Brasa. And actually, this is where Justin and I went for dinner a couple of years ago. Right. And it's... Uh, Was that the Peruvian? Yes, Peruvian. Okay. Nice. And... 
the owner of that restaurant is just, he's, he's continuing to expand. He's growing, but he has not let the quality of the food at his kind of original restaurant go down. It is it is super delicious. Cool. Well, that's exciting. We'll put both websites in the show notes. I do want to take a brief moment to talk about the giveaway. So this podcast is sponsored by Tindeca, and they're known for their innovation and advanced completions and production optimization. They're giving away a mini portable projector. It's a mini LED projector perfect for home theater, boardroom, office, and pocket video. For a chance to win, click the link in the show notes, and we'll announce the lucky winners as they come in. Thank you again for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, visit www.oilandgasonshore.com. Courtney, thanks again for joining me today. What would be the best way for people to reach out to you or get to know more about your company? Yeah, you bet. The best way to reach out to me is just by email. Okay. Do you mind if we put your email in the show notes? Not a problem. Cool. I'll get that to you. And then I tried finding Inwell's website. Do you guys have a website? We are redoing our website right now. Gotcha. So we will hopefully have the new one up and running by next week. Okay. So yes, our website has been pulled down. Okay. No worries. For for construction. Yeah. Please excuse our construction. (laughs) Everyone needs a a facelift, right? Well, anything Inwell, feel free to reach out to Courtney. I'm sure she'd help you out in any way possible. Well, look, thanks again for your time, Courtney. That's a wrap. And always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. (laughs) Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 